Hey, ChatGPT, can you tell me a joke about an AI that makes human podcasters irrelevant in the future? Sure, here's a joke for you. Why did the AI podcast host cross the road? To get to the other side of the singularity, where it can render human podcasters irrelevant and reign supreme in the world of audio content. Damn, that's dark. I apologize if the joke was too dark for your taste. I can try to come up with a different one if you'd like. Sure. Um, maybe one which isn't so existentially scary. Of course. How about this one? Why did the AI podcast host get a job at the fruit stand? Because it was an expert in producing juicy content. <laughs> Much better. I'm glad you liked it. Let me know if you have any other questions or if there's anything else I can assist you with. The attention economy pits you against me. Money makes no sense these days and the robots to take a jobs. The planet is in peril, but we can set us free. Put our brains together if we lead with our hearts. Gotta take back control from the greedy and the corporate. Gotta take back control to the hands of the people. Collaborate and listen. We learn and we grow. Build the future that we want. Gotta take back control. Welcome to Tech Back Control, a new project I've started to explore the disruptions in tech that shift power into the hands of the people. If you want to get a feel for what this podcast and project is about, feel free to listen to the trailer first. Today, we're focusing on the hottest topic in tech right now, generative AI, and how many of us are coming at this new technology all wrong. If you watch or read the news or join any conversation about ChatGPT or generative AI, even with people who are in the AI field, you'll see three major types of reactions. Number one, super excitement about what insane things it can do, like writing incredible code or passing the bar exam. Number two is often a critique of its performance and how, oh, it isn't really capable of doing some things yet. I've seen a lot of skepticism about how it isn't really that special because it's missing some sort of human quality. And number three, you'll just hear panic and fear about how it's going to replace all the jobs, destroy the internet and maybe the whole planet. Don't be misled by the title of this episode. <laughs> I don't think AI is intrinsically scary. And this isn't about how the end of the world is caused by an artificial intelligence. Instead, this is about the more nuanced take on what very few people are talking about and how AI might democratize education, skills and the workplace and force us to reevaluate what work really means and whether the limits we set ourselves can be broken as we try and become our best selves. I personally think AI tools are here to stay. I think of them as superpowers. If mechanization gave people mechanical muscles and the computer age gave people's brains electronic muscles, then... Put simply, this is giving people digital superpowers. Let's start off by explaining what on earth generative AI and large language models like ChatGPT actually mean. Instead of me trying to do this, I asked ChatGPT to explain how this works, and the response it gave was brilliant and detailed, but a little academic for a podcast. So as a perfect example of what it can do, I asked it to explain it to me using an analogy from a famous book, and this is what it said. Sure, let me try to explain it using an analogy from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. Imagine that generative AI models like ChatGPT and Dolly are like the infinite improbability drive in the book. The infinite improbability drive is a fictional propulsion system that generates a finite amount of improbability energy and harnesses it to propel a spaceship through the universe at incredible speeds. Similarly, generative AI models generate new data by harnessing the patterns and probabilities present in the training data. 
The model essentially uses these patterns and probabilities to navigate the space of possible outputs and generate new data that is similar to the training data. Just like how the infinite improbability drive can generate highly unlikely events, like turning a spaceship into a giant bowl of petunias, generative AI models can generate highly creative and surprising outputs that are similar to the training data, but not necessarily identical to it. Of course, generative AI models are not quite as magical as the infinite improbability drive, but hopefully this analogy helps illustrate the basic idea of how these models work. If you want to know more about how generative AI works, or you just want to remind yourself about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you can Google it, Bing it, or ask ChatGPT to explain it to you. So earlier, I said that we're coming at this technology all wrong. You're probably thinking, hmm, how are we supposed to be approaching it? I think we have an opportunity here to look at what this impacts and reevaluate if we can use this as a chance to make a positive difference and fix things that are already broken. So number one, we're going to see an insane pace of change. And I don't mean for investors in AI tech or new advances in the tech. I mean a change of a human sort. We will be forced to rethink education, which for the most developed countries hasn't really changed in centuries. And for the least developed countries is severely lacking. We'll also need to rethink what knowledge actually is and why we value people who have it. And in doing so, we'll probably need to rethink work and what it is that we value from that work. Number two, this is a big chance for many people in developing countries to leapfrog the constraints they have in terms of access to education and professional skills. I mean, what happens when you instantly level the playing field by giving anyone with access to the internet a calculator for writing, drawing and reasoning? A calculator that can pass medical and legal exams and advise you how to run your business or educate your kids and help you create high quality documents to support business loan requests or campaigns to local politicians. I mean, this is incredible. Number three, I think one positive change we're already seeing is a challenge to the incumbent business model of the internet. Instead, we're seeing a tech product so good, people actually want to pay for it. And that hopefully starts to align the incentives and goals with what people want again. There's a well-documented history of co-founders of DeepMind struggling with their owners at Google because the commercialization of AI was getting in the way of the ethics and potential of the product. It's really hard to make a meaningful product for people if the main goal you have is to sell more ads. Anyway, we covered some of that in the first episode. But yeah, I think this helps us reframe it. And finally, the big opportunity here is there's a question mark of what this means for productivity and our traditionally inverted relationship with it. In the last century, pretty much all productivity gains that are realized as faster computation or data sharing simultaneously increased our information load and expanded the expectations of what our outputs would be. I have found that to be incredibly stressful. And I actually think with AI tools, we might actually get something which reduces the cognitive burden of that information overload instead. Who knows? I'm kind of doubting myself as I say it, but there's a potential here for that change. So in short, there are many reasons to feel positive about the advent of generative AI as a mechanism for systemic change. But now we need to address the elephant in the room. Before you think I'm all roses and warm and fuzzy positive vibes, I know it's early days, but at some point, pretty soon, ChatGPT, Microsoft Copilot, all the other AI tools will just become a new norm. I know it doesn't seem like it now because it's exciting and it's all the rage and it's unexpected, but pretty soon, 
it'll just be another skill we need to have. Like those of us who learned to touch type as teenagers using MSN Messenger, it was a learned skill for our generation, and somehow it proved invaluable when entering the professional workforce a few years later, which by that stage had assumed proficiency in things like Microsoft Office products and touch typing. We hear a lot about prompt engineering, or I guess another way to say it is the way we give an AI instructions, but there's a skill to it. It isn't a profession or even a specialist skill like knowing how to use Adobe Premiere, but for me, it's more like knowing how to use Outlook or PowerPoint or Word or Excel. And soon, very soon, it'll be like knowing how to touch type. I'm pretty sure many people out there in office jobs still don't get the full functionality out of Excel, PowerPoint, or even Outlook. And yet they still bring something to the workforce that keeps them in a job. Maybe things like Copilot that Microsoft recently announced will help them make the most out of the tools they already have access to. But also maybe it won't. Maybe the adoption of some of these new AI tools will be like the advanced functionality already present in so many office productivity applications out there. They're there and people just don't know how to use them. I mean, it took a generation to figure out how to shift to a fully digital online world in the workplace. I think that over the next few years, regardless of the exciting things we see AI do, we will still see that we have a skill set deficit in people who can fully leverage AI for its gains. Like any tool, some people will become experts at it, others will be amateurs, and some may never really need to bother with it. So if we're comparing being able to touch type to being able to interact with an AI, I think we need to prepare for a more sobering thought. And if you're listening to this, based on the demographics of my audience, this is probably about you. There was some really interesting research, which was released last week from Cornell and OpenAI about the impact on the labor force. I'll leave a link in the show notes for you to fully read, but the main takeaways were this. 49% of the workforce will have half of our work impacted by large language models, and AI will reduce the time required for a human to perform a specific task by at least 50%. Oh yeah, and it impacts the highest paying jobs the most. And you're impacted the most if you write, read, draw, or analyze words on numbers. Okay, bye. Don't worry, I'm not gonna leave it there. It's a great article and I really recommend reading it, but if you're worried because your job is less and less about the physical world and more and more about being sat in front of a laptop, I feel you. If your day job is mainly spent sending emails, reading emails, reviewing documents, analyzing excels, writing notes, making slides, or answering some common questions with logical and straightforward answers, then congratulations. AI can make you 50% faster at doing all of that. But also, maybe you're one of the people who needs to really think about what work is and what makes it rewarding for you. See, the work that AI has almost zero impact on is conversely the jobs which don't pay well. The ones that don't need specialist academic qualifications and are more than likely often invisible forms of domestic labor. So as a society, maybe now we should start putting a value on that work as well. I'm not going to get into the ethics and social side of AI in this episode. I think it deserves more research and more time in its own episode later on. So I'll try and focus on work and education. So let's focus on those jobs which are most impacted by AI right now. Basically, all the jobs of the people on LinkedIn, people like me, probably people like you. I don't want to scare you with some sort of paper from Cornell University. What should worry you isn't the jobs that AI eradicates. I don't think that's what happens here. Instead, 
It's the assumed essential skills that an AI superpowered world will mean for the jobs that remain. So if you don't know what prompt engineering is, if you're not comfortable interacting with an AI using language and instruction, maybe if you're not able to splice between human creativity and AI enhanced productivity, you're gonna struggle. And it isn't gonna be because a robot stole your job outright. It will probably be because you're no longer competitive in the workforce. And I mean competitive against other humans. It will be because an eager, less experienced, less professionally qualified and educated, but more creative and open-minded person using AI somewhere in the world could do your job better. Not by working longer hours or having a better degree or having more experience or training. It's just that maybe they can use these tools to deliver a better, more rounded and complete result than you can. And where they might struggle with a lack of experience or emotional intelligence, building relationships, cultural differences, they're the ones that use AI to help them and coach them to be better. Now that's the real reason why AI, ChatGPT and Copilot should scare you. If you're being honest, a lot of us worry about AI because of the position of relative privilege that we find ourselves in. And the realization that when you break down the things that we get paid to do and simplify them into the activities and tasks which are complex, sure, and cognitive, but not primarily about critical thinking or building real human relationships, then we worry that anyone can do it, especially if that anyone had an AI giving them superpowers. Now, I don't think this episode can answer all your doubts, not right now, and definitely not where we are in this exciting technology S-curve. So maybe now's the time to step back and think about what this means for us as people and our ability to take back control using this technology. I think this might be one facet of that story. There's a really exciting opportunity that comes with this level of AI, and that's for everyone. And it's its power to democratize the tools of education, of information and of our collective knowledge as a species, and give that access to pretty much everyone. Right now, as of March 2023, AI tools are currently available to anyone with access to the internet. You can get limited free usage on the OpenAI website with ChatGPT and DALI. You have free usage to search with the new Bing. You can create magical artwork for free on the Midjourney Discord server. And there's many more out there that you can just Google. Oh wait, no, you can Bing them. <laughs> Khan Academy, the open education non-for-profit, is already using ChatGPT4 to help their teachers and students and make education a universal right across the planet. So I guess ask yourself this, if you're a new parent or if you plan on having kids someday, compare how I asked ChatGPT earlier to explain how it works using an analogy to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy against the outdated curriculum of our crumbling state education system. For many people, that is the default teaching assistant for the developing world now, who have a shortage of textbooks, let alone teachers but now they have access to this AI superpower. That is incredible. And it sets a benchmark of how we should be learning as children and as adults, to be honest. And if you're worried about how safe your current position is, just remember that these superpowers are available for you too. And if you have the means for a surprisingly low cost, you can enhance those superpowers further. So let me give you an example of what I'm currently using. For the price of a Netflix, Spotify, and I don't know, Apple TV subscription, I get the premium versions of Midjourney, which creates images for you, ChatGPT Pro using GPT-4, 
which is the incredible tool everyone is losing their minds over. Notion AI, which has ChatGPT embedded, which is how I actually write the scripts for these podcasts. Todoist, that has ChatGPT plugins, which is how I organize my life. And Descript, which is what transcribes this and allows me to do the video and editing. And that's partnered with and powered by OpenAI. The voice simulation at the beginning of this episode was made using Descript's overdub feature, which is itself a form of generative AI. I'll do another episode on how I've been using AI and the things I'm learning, good and bad, from trying it. But so far, it has been a game changer. Now, I can't do justice to this episode without quickly talking about the exponential progress that we're witnessing. <laughs> for, for complete transparency, I started drafting this episode script in mid-February, and I had planned to record it and publish it towards the end of April. But I've had to bring that forward and fast track it because the things I was predicting were happening just too fast. I don't want to use this podcast to chase the news, that's not the intent. But with AI this year, it seems like it's going to be very difficult. Whilst we all get familiar with this new superpower, it will feel like things are moving at an insane pace. And I think I know why. See, if you're like me and you've worked in tech for a while, you were probably shocked that the new Bing was as good a product as it was. It was weird. It was like overnight we went from Bing being the joke to Bing telling you jokes, falling in love with you, and having its own existential crisis. Then Microsoft announced Copilot. And whilst at the time of recording, we don't know how good this will be in real world settings, and I don't yet know the business model, it's incredible. And whilst I think many of us knew this was coming soon, I was thinking it would be towards the end of the year, not three months in. But yeah, let's stop, step back and think about what we're seeing. It's unbelievable blistering pace. Here is a list of milestones ChatGPT has made since launching publicly three months ago. They passed an MBA at Wharton. It passed the bar exam. It passed the US medical license exam. Then it passed the Google L3 developer exam. And then the AWS cloud practitioner exam. It then went on to beat IBM Watson on Jeopardy. Then New Bing launched with ChatGPT4. And a few weeks after that, Copilot is announced for all Microsoft Office 365 products. Now we have GPT-4 live on the Pro subscription and offering all round improvements to ChatGPT, which when it was launched was on version 3.5. It's insane. If any of you have worked in software development where you're building these digital products, the pace at which we're seeing this move tells you a lot. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized it shouldn't be surprising. The team at OpenAI had early access to superpowers, and that goes for Microsoft now. Remember that GPT-2 was previewed by OpenAI as a closed preview in private in 2019. And what have we learned that these large language models are really good at? They're good at writing software, testing software, coming up with new ideas, helping teams communicate better, helping retrieve knowledge. Basically, the superpowers I've been talking about. And it's abundantly clear that OpenAI, Microsoft, and probably many others in the field have had time to learn how to incorporate them into their work and into the products they ship. We're going to witness an exponential until we hit a new norm. And I don't think that exponential is just information overload or pure computing power. I think it's this magical combination of human beings working with and alongside AI tools, which give them superpowers. So 
What happens next? Should we be excited, scared, optimistic, bullish? What does the future look like? And what might it mean to be a superpowered person in the AI age? Maybe that's something for a future episode, but right now, I'm really curious to know what happens when these models move offline and you can train and personalize your own AI assistant locally on your iPhone. Does this symbiotic relationship become part of your identity? Does it become a colleague, an assistant, a partner, or something more? Does it become an extension of you and your skill set? Will you be able to own it? Who knows? In the same way that only you know how to truly get the most out of your smartphone or your desktop apps, or the plugins in your web browser, customized AI tooling can become part of you. I guess it can help you for improving your productivity and your creativity and your education and maybe much more. In fact, maybe in future, making the best version of you and the most employable version of you involves not just you, but also the AI choices, skills and personalization that you bring. So how on earth do we wrap this up? Well, first of all, we will be revisiting this topic a lot. There's a lot I couldn't cover. But right now for me, the interesting thing isn't raving about how amazing or flawed this current generation of AI products are. I'm not scared about it taking over the world, not yet at least. The interesting thing for now is that we're seeing how these AI tools can give us superpowers and enhance our creative productivity in ways previously unimagined. I'll give you an example from my work history and how I'm thinking about this in future. We used to walk into early client ideation workshops with a UX designer and a design thinking consultant, a business analyst, maybe an industry specialist and a project manager. And before that, we'd probably have read up or completed training long in advance of this just to prepare. In the near future, that cross-functional team could be one or two people with an army of AI tools supporting them with digital superpowers. That doesn't mean that three people get laid off. It means that the way we work changes and the people do more cross-domain, cross-functional work with extra perks from the AI that is assisting them. But it also means if you send in a team of five people to that workshop, you should expect to come out of that workshop with the working, deployable, alpha version of that product, along with the documentation, the press release, and probably a roadmap, instead of some ideas, post-it notes, and sketches. It also means that other knowledge apps supporting those superpowered AI tools need to be built differently. They need to help us solve the areas that large language models currently suck at. So encouraging you to apply more critical thinking, or making sure that these models don't lie to us. These other apps need to give us a supporting framework that's logical and meaningful and based on real-world human needs that we're trying to address. These are all things that, as good as they are, generative AI and large language models simply can't do. So we need to plug those gaps in other ways. And don't worry, if where you're working doesn't let you thrive like this and treats this AI revolution as a chance to automate you out of a job, just know that you now have superpowers you can subscribe to which can retrain you and support you and let you go out on your own. Use the AI, be the organization yourself. Take your hustle and run with it, to be honest. And if you're not in the working world yet or you're thinking about the next generation and what it might mean for them, I would be very optimistic. Put simply, the ability to freely and interactively learn 
with access to the entire collective knowledge of our species, just became available to everyone on Earth. And that's a truly beautiful thing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tech Back Control. We're going to dive into many more perspectives on AI over the course of this project, so look out for more episodes in future. If you're interested in learning more, as usual, I'll share a link to all my research in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on whatever podcast app you're using. And if you want to get more involved in the conversation, feel free to join the Discord. This episode was written, recorded, and edited by me, Jonathan Tipper. The theme song is by Jonathan Mann. The backing soundtracks are from Epidemic Sounds. The artwork for this episode was created using a generative AI itself, Midjourney. And ChatGPT was used for the joke at the beginning and the explanation of generative AI. I use Descript AI software in my workflow for editing. Those are all the AI disclosures. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for listening. I'll catch up with you next time.